You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. In this week's episode, we are pleased and delighted to sit down with Blade Runner production executive Katie Haber. About a year after launching Shoulder of Orion, the podcast was presented with the idea of having Ms. Haber on her show as a guest. Unfortunately, the ball was fumbled and we did not pursue that lead. Four years later, and after a gracious nudge by our friend Paul Salmon, Ms. Haber agreed to come on our show for what would prove to be an emotional and timeless conversation. Okay, you've had your fun. I'll give you one more chance. And if you don't clear out now, there'll be real trouble. I mean it. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. We've had a crazy day, and we were rushing home because tonight's interview is one that years ago, when we started this show, we had a short list of people we wanted to talk to. And tonight's guest is somebody that we had benchmarked early on as somebody we wanted to get. We had Hampton on. We've had some other people affiliated on. And tonight... We have somebody very intimately involved, as they say, from uh, first in, last out on the production of Blade Runner, Katie Haber. Welcome, Welcome. to Shoulder of Orion, Katie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We have so many questions as a production executive on Blade Runner, but before we even want to get into that movie, we know that there's so much more that uh, preceded that. And we're interested, certainly when we have guests on the show, we're interested in who you are in terms of the art that you've created, not just that one film, because certainly that one film Blade Runner is a, a monumental film and some monumental achievement. There's so much more to your story. So we want to open that up a little bit. So I'll just ask you, um, how did, what's your journey into filmmaking? How did you start? It, uh, it's been a very, very, very long journey. The first time, my first step into filmmaking was by accident because uh, I was originally going to become a doctor and follow, following in my father's footsteps. And uh, my parents were uh, escaped from Czechoslovakia in, in 1939 and came to England where, where I was born. And my father was a doctor. And uh, b because, because I, I wanted to follow in his footsteps, I was going to become a doctor. Uh, but in, in 1962, my father committed suicide because of uh, losing all his family in the Holocaust. And I decided I didn't want to follow in his footsteps. And I, so, so I decided to do a career in the, in the film industry. And the first film I made, I worked on was a, was a movie called Prudence and the Pill. Uh, and, and, and another one was uh, a movie called uh, Mumsy, Nanny, Sunny and Girly. I, I, it was a very unusual film. D did you see it? I haven't seen I, it. I have not seen it, but I do know of it. When I, I love that name, though. I love that name. Yeah, it it's sounds great. great. It was it was a very, un very unusual film where a, a, um, a mom and a nanny uh, use use these these kids, these their, their, their children to uh, pr procure men. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, I have lots of pictures of, of, of me on the set of that. Many, many years later, um, I got a call from Sir James Swan to let me know that there was someone called Sam Peckinpah in town who was going to uh, direct a movie called Straw Dogs. Hey, 
and uh, would I be interested in, in being uh, be meeting him? You know, I said, uh, yes, sir, that that would be fine. I got a call from Sam saying, can you come? Can can you come to my office in in the, at Universal Studios and and be be here in half an hour? I said, um, you know, I'm I'm at Wimbledon watching watching the tennis, uh, and I, it's going to take me a take me a while to uh, get across town. And, and he said. Um, ne never mind another time. Two, uh, two weeks. Two weeks later, I got another call from from Sir James Swan, saying um, Sam's been through Sam been through three or four different assistants, and and would like to know if you would like like to come and see him. So I said, have him call me. So he called me, and uh, and and I went to see him, and uh, I said, I hear you want me to give you a second chance. And he and he threw this the the the, the uh, screenplay of Straw Dogs Straw Dogs in my lap and said, "Can you type?" And uh, the rest is history. And then then I did eight eight more films with him. Sam Peckinpah, uh, in addition to being a legendary director, was notoriously uh, not the easiest of people to to get along with. What do you think uh, made you so well suited for working with him for that long? I have no idea. I have no idea. And, and every but, but everybody has classified me as as a saint or a, a crazy person or who knows. But you know, I did uh, Straw Dogs with him, Junior Bonner, uh, The Getaway, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, Killer Elite, Convoy. What am I? What am I missing? Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid, and I've got all the pictures to prove it. What a run! Um, going back for a moment. There's a, a big transition, I feel, between deciding that you didn't want to go into medicine, but deciding you wanted to go into film. And I'm wondering, before we get to more recent things, did you have any like early experiences with cinema that told you that you wanted to do this? Like, what what gave you the desire to chase that? I don't know what 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 the chase was, but I my father my you know grew, while growing up, you know, if you if you have ever said to me, you know, what well, what was your life like as a child, and and what uh, what was your life like? And I would say, you know, I I don't know, because my me all my memories of growing up in, in in England were recorded by my dad, who was you know with his eight millimeter camera, and I had I have I have did I have all the, the my life digitally because I transferred it to a, a YouTube all my 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 life my history of my life until the time he died. On film, so I don't know if I if they're memories or you know, you know, taken from the film. You know that who I was and what I was doing as a child because he photographed everything. So I think I got my cinematic, cinematic desires and influences from my father, who I think if he hadn't become a doctor, would have loved to become a film director. All his little films even have even have titles. You know, he did his own titles on you know on the film. I, I can I can send you the my YouTube links if you like. So yeah, speaking of your life in film, like a lot of people end up going to film school and that's how they learn the ropes. What about you? Like so you end up working my, with Sam Peckinpah? My film school was Sam working with Sam Peckinpah. I got I learned more about filmmaking sitting next to Sam Peckinpah on the set of all all the films than I did in, in many, many years of film school. By the way, have you seen the, the front cover of Quentin Tarantino's book? I have, yes. Patrick? No, I have not. She's, are you going to get it? Yes. She's going to get it? Yeah, let me see. 
Patrick and I sit and wait as we see Miss Haber get up from her chair and make her way to retrieve Quentin Tarantino's book, Cinema Speculation. While she's getting that, how crazy is it to hear like those Peckinpah films just like rattle off? Like those are mm. like, like cornerstones of American cinema. Yeah, that's like, that's wild. Katie walks back to her computer, holding the book up so we can see it clearly. <laughs> that's you awesome. See the box? You see the box, yeah. Patrick? That says, you see that there? Yeah. You see what it says? I'm, I'm going to try to zoom in. Hang on. Let me see if I can put your video. It says, oh, I can't, I can't see it. The resolution. It says Katie's personal box. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. That, that is, that is a picture that I have in my files of Steve McQueen and Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. On the set of the getaway next to Steve is this box. And I actually have two, two uh, other pictures other photographs from that time, which I can send to you, of Steve standing on the set with me and Sam, pointing at this box. You know, and if 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 you if you had audio, it would it would be what the fuck is that? And basically, you see these two guys, these two guys in behind. Those are the grips that brought the box and put it on the set at that moment and everybody's you, you know who's seen this and saying what was in what was what was in the box it wasn't a box to contain things it was a box for me to sit on when when on the set next to sam in his director's chair which has got to be on some grip truck you know from almost 50 years ago <laughs> you know uh but um that's so awesome you gotta track that box down what you gotta track that box down. I, I'm I'm sure it's not it's not on it on a, on any truck at, anymore. But I've I'm ever since I saw this, I'm severely thinking of getting a, a it's an apple box and get painted and and have someone actually and spelling my name right because my name is with, with a Y, not an I E, and 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 keeping it for posterity. It's it's a treasure. Anyway, so I wrote so I wrote to. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's agent, no, no, agent, a producer, um, and says, please thank Mr. Tarantino for immortalizing my box. I think this box- <laughs> Out of context, that's- I love it, I love it. Does, love does it. box have the same symbolism, uh, uh, um, meaning? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> did you get a reply from uh, him? Did he one. send I, a message? I, I did get a reply, and Mr. Tarantino very kindly said, uh, he, he said that- Tarantino said, and the agent said, Katie, Quentin emailed me back. I know exactly who she is. You can't do an authentic Peckinpah doco without her. And I just assumed it was her box. That's so awesome. That is that so was cool. really yeah, nice Jamie sent me back. the close-up of the photo. That is, that is an amazing picture, too. My God. Can, can you see this? Katie holds up another photo of her infamous Apple box for us to view. Oh, that's the box. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. Steve. There's Steve and me. I love you, Pumpkin. I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! <laughs> what was what was he like? What was Steve McQueen like? Steve Steve and I had a very very interesting friendship. In fact, one of the most complimentary things he ever said to me, and I, I, did, I did two movies with him, but one of the most complimentary things he ever said to me is, 
Kay, did you realize that you're the only real girlfriend I've ever had? Isn't that nice? That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, that's something I will always treasure. I used to spend weekends with him in Palm Springs on the weekend. And he, I used to spend, he used to invite me down. And one weekend, um, he said, do you want to go for a drive? And I, I said, yeah, sure. And we went to this airport hangar in Palm Springs. And he took out a truck, a tank. And sat, Steve McQueen and I drove up and down Palm Springs High Street in a tank. <laughs> I was inside, so I couldn't let and I couldn't get, get, get any pictures because he was driving the tank, and I'm inside the tank, and I thought, oh, I'm with Steve McQueen in a tank in Palm Springs. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's yeah, incredible. He, he was he was a, a very special friend. Gone, gone, gone far too soon. Steve McQueen as Junior Bonner. There never was a horse that couldn't be rode. There never was a cowboy that couldn't be thrown. Things will seem right. Steve McQueen as Junior Bonner. He has only one problem. The 20th century. I did... Uh, um... Junior Bonner with him in Prescott, Arizona, rodeo picture. Um, after Straw Dogs, um, I wasn't going to be working with Sam anymore. So he got he got commissioned by, oh, I can't remember the name of the producer. Uh, anyway, the producer uh, hired Sam to direct Steve McQueen in Junior Bonner, which was a rodeo picture, uh, while, we, while we were still in Twickenham Studios on Straw Dogs edi editing. So he took... Roger Spottiswood and Garth Craven uh, to Prescott, Arizona, and stuck them in a motel so that he could do pre-production on on Junior Bonner, and said to me, "You know, next time I'm in England, I hope we can work together again." And uh, within three days of them getting to Prescott, because the reason he had to immediately go to Prescott was. Uh, there was a, a rodeo, an annual rodeo going on, and and the annual rodeo parade. You know, had to do pre-production, you know, filming the actual rodeo and uh, and parade. He was ed editing Straw Dogs at night and 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 doing pre pre-production in, in the daytime. And about four days later, I got a call saying, "Get your fucking ass over here! We've got another movie to make." So I said to my Jewish mum. I said, Mommy, I'm going to Prescott, Arizona to do a rodeo picture. She says, you're going there and <laughs> you're going there and what's a rodeo? And so the rest is history. I've been here ever since. It's incredible. That's how I got to uh, Jolly Old. I stayed I stayed in uh, primarily with Jerry Fielding and his family up in up the hill from here. Jerry Fielding did all the music for to Sam's pictures, including the Wild Bunch. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you've ever seen the Wild Bunch, but it's one. I call. I call. I call the Wild Bunch pre-Katie, but uh, I, you know that's a movie I would have loved to have been on. But it started. I started with Straw Dogs, and the rest is history as far as Sam is concerned. But it was Sam that uh, introduced me to Michael Dealey, and Mike, and the, and that's how we. That's how I got onto Blade Runner, and the rest is history. 
Yeah, I was about to ask about where Michael Dealey fits into this. And I also just want to say uh, The Wild Bunch was the first film that I watched in my first college uh, film. I took an Italian cinema history class and then I took an American cinema history class. And The Wild Bunch was the first movie we watched. So, yeah, it's pre- it's pretty amazing. It's a great picture. Yeah. Oh, um, gosh. And, and, and when you think about, you know, CGI and all of that, you know, it was it was all for real. Yeah, it was all for real. And I don't know how how Sam would have uh, acclimatized to the modern technology of filmmaking. I think he would. I don't think he would have ever changed his modus operandi, as they say. So so Michael Dealey, what you you got introduced to him through Peckinpah. Can you give us a little bit of a window? Because this is where like Blade Runner history really starts to kind of bubble through. So can you give us like a, a little glimpse into those early, early days before this was really rolling and how you how you and Michael got together and started working together on this stuff? Well, very simply, uh, the last film I did with with Sam was Convoy and Convoy was produced by Michael Dealey. He was at EMI at the time and it was an EMI film. When Sam, when Sam and I finally ended our relationship, which was on Convoy, Michael Dealey said, do you want to come and work for me now? And I said, Michael, if you really want to have me work with you and you're still working with Sam on Convoy, I don't think it would be a very good idea because um, Sam and I parted ways in such a friendly manner. The reason for our departure, as I would say, I would say I quit. Sam would say I was fired. So it, it was not a it was it was not a happy departure from each other. So M- Michael Dealey said, you know, do you want to come and work for me? And I said, uh, you know, again, it, it's not a, not a, not a very smart idea with, as you're still working with Sam. And he said, no, I want you to go and work on the deer hunt with Michael Chimina, which is something where where Barry Spikings and I are are are, uh, are producing. I went to work with Michael Cimino on on the Deer Hunter, but then in post production because it had already been filmed, you know, it had already been completed. I played, you know, quite an important role in the in the uh, the marketing of the film, and and actually I, I worked with and created a relationship with him and and, and worked with him on a, a movie called The Sicilian quite a few years later in Sicily, and that that was a made <laughs> very interesting experience. The time that I met Michael Cimino was when Michael Dealey invited Sam and me and Michael Cimino to his house in Malibu. And that's how I met Michael Cimino for the first time. And uh, I, I can't, I think, I, I think it was after the films were completed or maybe it was before, I don't know. But that's, that's when I met Michael Dealey introduced Sam to, to Michael Cimino at, at, that, at that event. Um, and <laughs> my, Michael Cimino went, went skinny dipping, and uh, and Sam t- took his clothes away, and t- took his clothes away, and uh, Michael Cimino had to go back to the house, you know, naked. <laughs> I, I, it was it was a very a, a very funny moment, anyway. So I I went to work on the deer hunter, and then when when the, when that was completed, uh, my Michael Dealey said come and come and work for me at e- at EMI and uh, while we were e- at EMI uh, he got the blade runner script from Brian Kelly and and uh, Hampton Fancher Hampton Fancher had 
had written, and that's how Blade Runner started. In those beginning days with Blade Runner starting, how do you work out? Like, so if you're working with Michael Dealey, you're it was just like unspoken between you two that you would be a production executive on it. Like, how did you know what your role would be, or was it just something that oh, you knew was, what your role was? It it was it it was a million light years before that uh, that those decisions were made. Do you remember? The first time I know it wasn't called Blade Runner, and I, I know that there was no Ridley Scott yet in this picture. There was it was no, called it was, Dangerous Days. It was Dangerous Days. Do you remember the first time you heard that phrase? Like, the, did you remember? Like, what was the what was the earliest moment that you heard about what would become Blade Runner? I don't even. I don't, I'm not sure what you mean because I'm. I, I was involved right from the start. You know, with, with, working with Michael on the initial stages of this, but getting the script, you know, getting getting the script and, the, you know, and, and I mean, Robert Mulligan was the first person that we were talking to about. Uh, Robert Mulligan and, and Dustin Hoffman was uh, the, his, his first choice, you know, to play Deckard. And I mean, I was there, I was right there at the, the, the very beginnings. Do you remember the first conversation you had maybe with Michael Dealey about it? I'm just, I'm just curious, like for that moment where like this started, do you remember, do you remember that at all? I, I it was just a conversation with Michael where, when, when I was just working, not, not even working with him at the, at the EMI yet, he's, you know, he just uh, said, um, I've, I've got the script, um, you know, and you, you, do you want to come and work? Was I was I with him already? I think, I think he got this he got the script from from Brian Kelly and Hampton while I was already working, and in and he says I'm going to leave here, my and this is this is what I want to produce. Awesome, thank you. I think it's I'll have to ask him <laughs> if he can remember. But the, those were the initial stages. I think I, I could I could refer I could refer to Paul Salmon's book. You know, future noir, and and give you give get he he has he has more of the details than I do. So you're asking me to remember something that happened in 19, 1982 or before. So within those days, then in terms of your role and when the when it starts picking up a little bit of steam, what are you doing at this time? All 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 the pre-production, the hiring, the hiring, the conversations with Robert Mulligan, and the, and then the then then the Michael D. Dealey putting together the financing together and and uh, a hiring of Ridley and uh, you know discussions with Ridley and you know I was in there there from the very beginning and and you know I was I was even at the Chateau Marmont across the road uh, working with David Peoples on the rewrite with with Hampton Fanshawe I've got all the screenplays here and with with all my the rewriting that I did with David I was I was there from the beginning and the, and and left at the end. That's for sure. And, and had to do, do the nightmare the nightmarish work of working with Balyokin. That's a, that's a whole other story. Um, was were there in the beginning of this project? Was there any indication that you were making a classic, or was this just sort of what, what was the what was the feel? Did people know that this was going to be special? I you know I, I no nobody thought it was nobody had any clue whether or how it was going to turn out. In fact. Watch, watching the the first uh, screening in in the, it was li- I, it literally felt like I was you know giving birth in public, 
you know, I was, you know, I was in the, on on stage giving birth because it was the most painful experience ever. But I don't think at that time, you know, no, nobody really understood what the film was all about, as you know. With um, Mulligan not being the director of Blade Runner, who brought in Ridley Scott? Whose decision was that? Michael Dealey. Okay. And 100%. And that was on the strength of Alien, right? Which had recently come out. On the, str- on the strength of everything, you know, his yeah. career. It was Michael Dealey's uh, intent and idea. And, you know, I credit Michael Dealey with everything. That, that brought that brought brought Blade Runner into fruition. His dogged uh, work at, in every step of the way, and I just I just followed suit. You know, I mean, and putting you know putting the financing together because it, uh, originally it was uh, with Filmways, that, and the financing fell through because Filmways you know died, and uh, we were in pre-production, and it was Michael's expertise and brilliance that put put the financing package together. Although he re- he regrets uh, making the um, Badiokin and Jerry Parencio the uh, completion bond guarantors, because uh, well you know the rest is history on that one. You know I was le- I was left you know to be the only person you know to to follow through on the continuity of to get the film completed. So I had to work with in, very closely with um, Badiokin. Who was who was directing directing the film at that point? Yeah, I, th- I feel like the the story of Blade Runner in a lot of ways, the the production of Blade Runner seems to be the story of trying to bridge very different visions into something cohesive, right? And that comes across in, in the art, whether it's like you know how Harrison is portraying Deckard versus Ridley's vision for it versus Hampton's, you know, adapting of the novel, which was very different from the novel, which then people's changed a lot. It seems like there's a lot of things kind of pulling it in different directions. And it seems like you seem to be in the center of a lot of those camps trying to kind of bring people together. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give us kind of a window into that? Like what was going on? Did did you ever see the article that came out in in the, which I can send you? It was called The English Woman Who Saved Blade Runner. Did you ever did you ever see that article? Yes, we shared it actually. Oh, you did. You good? Yeah. So, yeah. The, I mean, I I I don't want to take full credit, but uh, I was I sort of was a sort of liaison between the crew and and Ridley, and uh, you know you you know the story of the the, the newspaper article that ended up um, in 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 uh, Ridley's trailer that uh, that uh, the camp the camp the camper driver printed up and 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 put. Uh, a hundred copies of it next to next to the coffee the coffee canteen on the set. Did you did you? Yes, and this that? is this is where the t-shirts come in, right? Do you want to see the t-shirts? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that was so cool. We get to see the actual t-shirt. And so, for our listeners, what's do you want to repeat that story, Patrick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I, well, I, I kind of want her to tell it okay, firsthand. Okay. But th- there was a uh, as is seems to be the case a lot of the time Ridley has a very strong personality there were some disagreements with the crew and uh there was a kind of a t-shirt war that was waged and Katie ended up and I'm hoping this is the shirt that she's going to show us kind of bridging the divide with this you know anti-xenophobia shirt mm. but we haven't seen this one so this could this could be the the other shirt too I just can't believe this is firsthand how cool is this this is mm. crazy Patrick and I sit waiting as Katie brings a bag full of t-shirts from a closet to the camera. Okay, so she's got a bag. There's fabric in the bag. There's all my t-shirts in here. Good for you that you saved this. That's just I know. priceless. 
Well, this is not. This is. Ooh. That, that's what. That that's that's not one of mine. Oh, we gotta get a screenshot of this. Oh, that's the getaway. We can uh, screenshot the file once it's done. Oh, good call. Yeah, good call. Here's another one. <laughs> wow! wow look at that logo. Oh, look yes. at that, and the kanji that's, underneath it. That is awesome. awesome. Wow. Oh, there's a Sicilian if you want to talk about... Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Michael Cimino. That's another great film. You've got all day, right? Yeah, and this Good is one. just... It's such yeah. a gift. So, like, we, we will obviously... We'll trim this episode down a lot. So, take as much time as you need. But this is like... Jamie and I live for moments like this, you know? Like tears in rain. <laughs> In rain. <laughs> she also, of course, is responsible for introducing Rucker to Ridley, so we mm. should get into that too. Yes. Okay, I got him. Oh, another bag. <laughs> this is back from the just before I give you the Blade Runner T-shirt. This is a T-shirt. This is really funny. This is a T-shirt says to the entire staff and crew, date April the second, nineteen seventy-five, from Martin Baum and Arthur Lewis. Subject. Due to the high projected cost of Killer Elite, the producers and the director have given back a considerable portion of their artists to start principal photography on this film. It is urgent that we all maintain constant vigilance in keeping all costs down. There is no money available for food and beverages at staff meetings or for cast and crew parties, and <laughs> such expenditures will have to be at the expense of the participants. Your cooperation in this matter will be needed, greatly appreciated. All best, Martin Baum and Arthur Lewis. This is a shirt that that Sam Peckinpah had made for everybody to wear. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> that is That's awesome. amazing. I love printed, it. He printed up a memo, and and on the back, <laughs> it's, and and then it's from Sam. It says, "Gentlemen and ladies, regardless of memos to the contrary, there will be at least two cast parties." On whatever date we all feel like it. We are not United Artists and we're not Optimus Productions. We're just a crew who want to make a good picture in the only way we can. Signed, Sam Peckinpah and Friends. P.S. James Kahn has now volunteered to pay for coffee and all staff <laughs> meetings from now on. <laughs> P.S. P.P.S. Cast and crew parties will be uh, by invitation only. <laughs> PPPPS, please sign and return if you wish to participate. That's is that, amazing. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's that second. Is, That's the Sam Peckinpah I knew. That's like film history. Priceless. Yeah. Okay. This is the T-shirt. That's the green one. That's the one I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> that's the shirt. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yes, because the article, you know, that the, the British press wrote is that Ridley said, um, and when they asked him com the, uh, to compare working with American and British crews, they asked Ridley if he if he preferred to work with English or or, or American crews, and he said uh, English crews because he could talk to them in shorthand, and they would just say yes, governor, and get it done. That's what the, the article wrote, you know. The, and so that's when the T-shirt came out saying, yes, governor, my ass. And once this one actually doesn't have it, but the other ones at the back, uh, what is what is the, 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 the major Western writer? There's a big park on, on Sunset Boulevard. I'm going to lean on Jamie for this one because I have not been to Sunset Boulevard. A major Western writer? 
Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name. Zane Gray? Anyway, I don't know. Uh, anyway, he, um, he, this writer once wrote, uh, I never met a man I didn't like. On the back of a lot of the T-shirts, it said, so-and-so, and, so, and I, if I could remember his name, and I'm just drawing a blank, never met Ridley Scott. <laughs> and I can't. I wish I could remember his name. What is the name of the park? It's up. I'll on look it Sunset. up. Hang on. So we can we can we can punch this. Big in. big park on Sunset on the way to Beverly Hills. Oh wait. Oh wait. That's a book about Will, not Will Rogers. Will Rogers. Will Rogers never met Ridley Scott. That's there it right. Is. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. But now you made another shirt though, correct? I did. Yeah. So, so Ridley came to me and said, Katie, what are we going to do? I said, I've got to work with the, got to work with these people, you know, for the, for, for, for a long time. So I came out with this t-shirt. That's amazing. Getting to That's see great. that person. I wore, I wore it. Michael Dealey wore it. Ridley wore it. And Evil Powell wore it. And it said, xenophobia sucks. And, and a lot of the crew people came to me and said, what does xenophobia mean? <laughs> and I said, fear of strangers and everything from then on was saved that's incredible and i take full credit <laughs> as you as should well you should awesome. as well you should and those shirts also look great by the way i gotta say the graphic design on point it's held up um something that i, I want to make sure we make a little bit of time for is anybody who listens to the show and anybody who's a fan of blade runner knows what a huge part of blade runner history rutger hauer is in many ways and if I remember correctly from Paul's book, you were responsible for getting him into the picture largely because you introduced Absolutely. him to Ridley Scott. Uh, when, we, when, we were, when we were casting, I showed Ridley three films. I know Turkish Delight was one of them. Turkish Delight. Yeah. Um, getting old, the thing that is, is one of the most problems is remembering names. Remember everything but the names. Turkish Delight. Give, Soldier but, of Orange. Soldier of Orange and one more. Katie Tipple. Yes. How do you know? I had that written down from, <laughs> from my notes. <laughs> Why didn't you do that? Geez, thanks for the help. Anyway, I showed him all three films. And not not only for Rutger, but for uh who's who's the the uh German actress who played in 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 uh, Katie Tipple to play to play uh, um Rachel as well. That one I do not have written down. But Ridley, Ridley, Ridley wanted uh, didn't you know had always had uh, Sean Young. Sean Young. Sean Young. See the names failing me. And I showed him all three pictures, and he cast Rutger Hauer sight unseen. And Rutger came to Los Angeles, already cast, and came, and I rented a house for Ridley up on Doheny, up up above Sunset, and. Rutka showed up wearing a um, very elaborate Kenzo, which is a Japanese uh, menswear designer sweater, which was a, a heavy knit white sweater with a, a, a picture of the fox across across the chest, with two with two red eye red red ruby eyes, a pair of bright pink Shantung uh, pants, and Rutka is a large. Dutchman, not fat, but just you know, very big. So there was a lot of pink chantal on on his lower part of his body. He'd already cut his hair short, you know, and blonde and spiky, 
as 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 Brandy in the film. And he walked in to meet Ridley for the first time, or remember, already cast. Ridley, I don't know if your screen is white, but my screen is white. When, when the color of this, the screen on my computer, white, looked at me and went, took me outside. He said, what the fuck have you done? And he used the, the British expression, he, he, he's a woofter. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> and I oh, said, yeah. God's sake. I said, for God's Is that sake. Like Ridley. slang for gay? Yes. Okay. And he said, and I said, Ridley, he's having you on. Trust me. That he's having you on. And from then on, you know, the rest is history. The relate that relationship was in gold was, you know, is in gold. But that was the first time he met he met he met, you know, he's a, he's the main main protagonist. You know, I mean, he, you know, he, he did look, I mean, very, you know, with, with the pink and all the, this flamboyant, very flamboyant. So, but then he was having him on. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of Hawk. That's, that's, that, that's set Ridley's introduction to Rutger. Do you have any, any memories of Rutger you'd like to share with us? I've got one, and he just was, it was an amazing, amazing, an amazing person to work with, and I miss him terribly. And, then, and you know, he wrote that final speech, and re- he read it to Ridley, and Ridley said, "Action! I've seen things that people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. That's why you publication is Orion. That those, those were those were Rutger's words. Yeah, and." Uh, you know, I was I was there from until uh, the bitter end. You know what I still have? Katie gets up again and grabs an old audio reel that has the name Vangelis written on it with scene descriptions. Patrick and I sit back in awe. Oh, is that a work that print? Film? Is that a work print cut of the movie? No, that's the audio. Wow. Wow. What is that? Is that the sound? The, the music audio soundtrack. for the film? The music soundtrack. Oh my God! It was me. And uh, Bud Yorkin, it says original music by Vangelis, opening shot of movie, Journey to Bryant, Rachel's theme, blues, ethnic theme, Taffy's Bar, Death of Tyrell, love theme part one, love theme part two, Sebastian's theme, Memories of Green, Dolby NR, 11-2-82, Tales Out. Oh my God. This, 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 is, this is the soundtrack. That's amazing. Recording. <laughs> And That's I was like, and unbelievable. I, in the words of Harrison Ford, that belongs in a museum. I'm kidding. No, no, it does. <laughs> and but but but, uh, the, but when we finished, the uh, sound technician handed this to me as we walked out, and I still have it. Actually, <laughs> actually, is making me cry. Like looking at that. That's like. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah, I have I have it here, and you know. I think you know when I say MBE, and you know I'm, I'm very poor, <laughs> very poor because I, I spent you know a lot of time you know t- taking cricket teams around the world. Um, I, you know, I was wondering if if I sold this, <laughs> but I I never would. You know, this is this is one of my treasures. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe I could live off the proceeds. You probably could. <laughs> you probably could for a long time. Oh yeah, that is that is like overwhelming to see that. That's that is incredible. You know, you know when 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 Bud Yorkin fired everybody, include you know you know Michael Michael Dealey and Evo Powell and and I was kept on 
for continuity, you know, because I, you know, I was there from the beginning. I did all the uh, the music soundtrack, and I was there, there for 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 Harrison's narration. For the voiceover, I, I was there, yeah. I, I was there with with Buddy Orkin and Harrison and me with with the only people in the studio doing, you know, his his narration, which Ridley called Irving the Explainer. <laughs> You know, on the, the on the original film that was taken out eventually. Um, you do you have the box set? Oh yeah, yeah. We have like several different. Yeah, many, many. Of one of the great things about Blade Runner is there's many editions to own, and I think we have basically did, all of them at this point. Did, did, did they do? Did you you have the you have the box set? I mm-hmm. have the box set. I don't know where it is right now. Like there's the 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 cardboard box set that came out. Oh no no. Two, this, 2007 and then there's right? the box set with the steel book like it was a yeah. suitcase yeah, or a briefcase i want that one i want that one so bad me too man oh i want to get that one katie gets up to retrieve her blade runner ultimate collector's edition briefcase and opens it that's actually the that that is like unbelievable did you did you see that that, that was the film, that's the film audio transfer for the original soundtrack that's probably worth three four hundred thousand dollars yeah easy my god that's crazy to see that. there it is yes i have the paper oh, i have the little version of that that's, that's the, the one that one we were that just I, talking about yes. we both want yeah that's amazing and guess what my number is limited edition um, or, uh 249 number, I don't number know. 11 <laughs> number 11, 11. See, and, and and it is uh all, all 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 the different versions do you have a favorite version of the film the director's cut mm. no the 2004 yes. one Yes. Yeah. Agreed. You brought up that everyone was fired except you. You were kept on for continuity. Um, what happened that everyone was fired? Was it just because of, I mean, we know as hardcore Blade Runner fans ourselves, we know that there were budgetary reasons or, or issues and that um, there was some anger about Ridley Scott going over budget and over this and over that. For, no, from your it, perspective. It was, what, it, it was very simple. It was very simple. It was not over budget. Of course, of course, it went over budget. It's because the movie, when when we when we when we're shooting it in the middle of in right in two weeks before the end of of uh, production, there was a director's guild strike looming. Michael Dealey, in, in his inevitable way, decided to avoid the director's guild strike that we would shoot. Um, Two weeks in one week. The I'm sure you 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 know all about that. And that they, they, they took the uh, <laughs> these cats are flying all over the place in the back. In in the Bradbury building, we would shoot two weeks two weeks in one in two weeks in one week. You know you know in the Bradbury building, they we 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 took we took took over the Bradbury building, which was basically an office building, and we were shooting day for night. We had to get get in there at six o'clock in the evening. And the the crew would would trash the building, you know, so that the the water on the ground and smoke and the smoke and the, the rooftop sequence that was in the Bradbury building. When it was all, when we finished shooting the next morning, they had to clean it up completely so that the people who used to, you know had, could could go into their offices as if we'd never been there. You know, they they had to clean it up so that people, except except for JR's apartment, which which was a closed a, a closed office. So people were working literally around the clock uh, for the last for that week of for that week of shooting. The rooftop the rooftop sequence was exterior set on the lot on the Warner Brothers lot, 
So we had to pull it, pull, pull it in to, into a closed set and shoot, uh, you know, so because we were shooting day for night. So if we, if we, were, if we were shooting, you know, at daytime, you know, you, 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 it was, we were shooting day for night. It had to, you know, we had to take it into a closed set. So we went $5 million over, over budget. And because of that, you know, that's, that's when Bud Yorkin and Jerry Ferencio took over as completion bond guarantors. And that's when they fired everybody and, and completed the film without, without, without Ridley, without Michael and kept me on for continuity. So I, I was, I was the only one left, you know, to do post-production and all the rest of it. So that must that's have been a rough time. I, the, but they were the, you know, and, and, you know, Michael Dealey, you know, always said that, you know, you know, if he put the financing together in 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 a matter of days when we were in in pre-production. You know, so no nobody was left, no nobody was left. You know, without getting paid. His major regrets was making the you know, making Bud Yorkin and Perencio the completion bond guarantors, which is why they took over. Does that make and, sense? Totally. And then Scott was brought back in eventually, right? No, Scott. You know, yeah, of, of course, and you know, and 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 he, you know, produced the, you know, the th the three other cuts which are on the, in this, you know. But we we, we had to get the okay from uh, Parencio and Yorkin to do that. To I know we're kind of coming up on wrapping, and I also want you to be able to get back to that phone call. So keeping that in mind, um, I'm trying to think if there's. There's a question from earlier that I did kind of want to get to briefly, and then we can kind of come to our final question. Does that sound good? Am I rambling or making? Am I making no, you're doing it. No, you're, mate, this is yeah. absolutely priceless experience for us. <laughs> and every, it's I really mean that. It's this is this is like a dream a dream come true. Getting to hear this, getting to see it, and and every every quote unquote ramble you're doing is is just amazing. So don't apologize. And again, we'll trim it for the episode so it'll be more streamlined. But um. I did want to go back to something. So Ridley, I don't know if you are aware of this, but Jamie and I also co-host, uh, along with our friend Christian, uh, an alien podcast, which you probably can guess by the junk behind my head right now. And uh, so Ridley Scott is somebody who comes up a lot in conversations. Uh, we've never actually spoken with him, but we've spoken with many people who have worked with him before. Uh, Blade Runner, I think, is such an interesting window into how he transitioned in some ways into a mainstream filmmaker because he had proven himself with the duelist and alien he got blade runner which was although it was kind of a slow burn eventually considered a masterpiece but i know he had to adapt things about his style and one of those things because you were on set and i know you have direct experience with this is i know he he had directed previously as much as possible behind the camera right yes, from uh, and he couldn't do that because of union regulations, I believe, on this. So, can you just talk about that? For no, a moment? Not, not behind the camera. He was the camera operator. He's operator. Right. Until he came to, it came 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 to America, and of course the the, the cinematographers union and, and and the directors union uh, does not allow the director to uh, operate the camera, which is. Uh, have you seen that picture of me with Ridley? On the on the set, not not on the set, on beside the set. You're looking at a monitor together. We're looking right? at a monitor right. because what Ridley did in order to be, he he was so used to as, as directing through the eye of the camera, and being you know so he was shooting video at the same time as he was 
uh, as he was filming on film and watching Harrison perform from 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 off the set which created great a great friction between Ridley and Harrison Harrison had come off films where he had hit a very onset directors like Spielberg and Lucas and and now all of a sudden he was uh, performing without a director on the set because he was with me you know in a, in a little booth you know you've seen that you've seen that picture right and yes, uh, we've seen that's, it. that's Ridley and I watching watching Harrison perform or whoever was on the set at the time uh you know acting that's what created a, a lot of uh, conflict between Harrison and 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 Ridley because he was never there not never there of course he was but he was never on the set when that as as much as possible i mean for instance when we when we were shooting on the crane shots he was he was behind behind the operator on the crane looking down you know so again he was he was he wasn't uh, you know there there for for his actors Loom, literally looming above them <laughs> yes. somewhere in the air <laughs> on a crane yeah one of my questions uh as we as we uh proceed to closing this uh is what can you describe a day in the life of Katie Haber on the set of Blade Runner so i i know that there was a lot going on all the time but you get up in the morning and it's say you're 30 days into your sh- the shoot what do you, what are you doing what what's the first thing that you do wherever Ridley was i was have you spoken to Evo Paul yet we have not i mean it, you're not uh, you know, Eva can tell you that you know, I you know I I didn't I didn't act as you know dialogue director or, or or assistant director. I acted as 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 producer. So where where what I got was you know production executive. I, you know who who cares about credits? You know I, I know what it is I did. But um, I was on I was on the set with, with relief where, wherever Ridley was I was in the in this box set did, did you see the the the, uh, the dangerous days um, documentary that yeah oh yeah we've had the director oh, yeah. on our show before yeah many times yeah we yeah. that film yeah and uh, I've su- surprised myself when I sort of started expounding on this this is where we shot the Zora going through the plate glass window this is where this is where the phone was. I mean, I was guessing because I was on the set when we were when we were walking through that set. It was already a New York set. It was not. They cut to the actual scene. I thought, oh God, I was right. <laughs> this is where the eye, the eye, what's it, what's the name? The, the eye guy? engineer, essentially. Yeah, 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 right. the eye engineer. You know, yeah. we we yeah. I I have pictures of all of us in in this ice chest in this ice. Uh, we shot some of it in in and there's Michael and I and and Ridley. Freezing to death in this ice chest in the in the eye doctor. You know, so I was I was wherever Ridley was, I was. My final question: You've had such an amazing career, and and in sort of prepping for you to come on, I, I was lucky enough to read through some of the things you've done, which which have been many and varied outside of just what we've talked about tonight. So I guess my final question for you is: What are you Who most <laughs> <laughs> that? But mostly, what are you most proud of? You know, and and what do you have ahead that you're looking forward to? Surviving, survival. I mean, you know, eight fil- eight films with Peck and Porn being alive to tell the tale. I've I've looked down the barrel of a gun <laughs> in my time. I don't know. I don't. I don't. All I know is that I've been. 
I've had an amazing experience. I've worked with some of the greatest directors. I've, uh, you know, I've worked with 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 Sam Sam Peckinpah, Sam Fuller. I did a movie with Sam Fuller in 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 in, in Almeria, Spain, that did they never got completed. It was called Riata, and that's why I got to work with Pe Peckinpah again because Sam Sam called uh, uh, Jerry Fielding's wife and said. I, I want Katie to come back and, and, and work on Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Camille said, well, the Sam Fuller movie just, uh, Sam, Sam and I parted company on The Getaway. And, uh, and then I did, went and did the Sam Fuller movie in, in, in Almeria, Spain. And then Sam called me up and said, can you come back? And I said, all right. So I, all of a sudden I was in Mexico. I took I took some un unusual journeys. Blade Runner was an amazing journey, and working on the Sicilian in, in in Sicily, you know, with the, with the Sicilian mafia. When I think of my experiences, luck, ingenuity, uh, bravery—that's <laughs> all I can say. I don't I don't know how how it happened, but uh, I can look back on my film career with with great. Uh, with great gratitude, but I don't know how how I achieved what I achieved, but, but I, I had something in me that I inherited, I think. With um, films, uh, I'm sure because you've worked on so many, and I would imagine you look at them as children in some ways, and I'm curious, do you have a favorite, or do you have, obviously people like us, we think about Blade Runner all the time, it's one of my all-time favorite films. Um, for probably different reasons than it might uh, be a favorite of yours, if it is. How do you look at your your career? Like, are there certain films that stick out to you as like, wow, that was amazing? Or is it all just bundled together as this amazing experience? Well, and I, you know, going, watch, watching Straw Dogs at the screening at, at the New Beverly, uh, I'm amazed, amazed at that film. But the, the, the film that, that was most significant for me with with Sam was Cross of Iron. Did you ever see Cross of Iron? I have not. I have not seen that one. Straw Dogs I've seen. I've not, I've not yeah. seen Cross of Iron. Cross, Cross of Iron is well worth seeing. James, James Mason, James Coburn, David Warner, about the uh, German soldier on the Russian front. We shot that in in Yugoslavia, in Yugoslavia, then Yugoslavia. And one of the great moments was, uh, you know, one weekend, Sam Sam decided that he he didn't want to spend one day longer in Yugoslavia under these really tough conditions. He said, "I want to go to Venice. I want to go go across the border into Venice with you and James, and just you know spend the weekend doing nothing but shopping and shopping in the Piazza San Marco or whatever whatever we can do." So James Coburn, Sam and I went across the border into to Venice, and he said, "You know, tomorrow morning, let's let's uh, let's all wake up and you know and 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 just have a fun day." So I woke up, I went downstairs and into the lobby of the hotel, and so did James Coburn, no Sam, and all of a sudden, walking into the lobby was Federico Fellini. So, oh I said, so I said to Fellini in my inevitable uh, Italian, 
me fai un grande piacere, por favor. Per, per favore, so that's Spanish. Uh, per favore, uh, I want you to meet someone. And I, I took him upstairs and I knocked on the door and I said, uh, Sam, open the door. And Sam said, he said, I'm, this is the first good night's sleep I've had. He said, why don't you and Jimmy go to go, go do, do some shopping, come back and take, come and take me out for lunch. And I said, Sam, open the fucking door. And there was a moaning and groaning and all of a sudden and he opens the door and I said, Mr. Mr. Peckinpah, meet Federico Fellini. Federico Fellini meets Sam Peckinpah. And I have a letter to this day from Fellini. And that's when uh, saying, you know, dear Sam, it's wonderful to, me to meet you. It's wonderful to meet. And, and I have the letter. Do you want to see the letter? Of course. Yeah. I, <clears throat> while you're getting it, uh, yeah. I mentioned that Italian cinema class that I had. Of course, Fellini was a huge part of that, but Amarcord yeah. became one of my favorite films of oh, all time. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, and then right after that, I saw my first Peckinpah movie, which was, that's, this is such a strange little moment for me to kind of be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Man, Fellini's like... God. God, yeah. Like, this, uh, this, is, this is totally wild. Yeah. Katie gets up again to search for the letter from Italian filmmaker Federico Fellini. Just, just to show you. This is it. This is at the end at the end of Straw Dogs from Sam, and I'll I'll read it. It says to Katie, the mother of the Straw Dogs, with love, Sam Peckinpah. Wow, and that's that's that's, that's a note. So the so the morning the 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 morning after I, I introduced Sam to Fellini, dear Sam, it was nice and natural to meet you in that way, like it's always nice and natural to meet a friend. I wish you good luck and good work, thinking to see you again the next week. Federico Fellini. Say hello to James and his charming lady. Wow. Oh, <laughs> up, James. Oh, that's that's amazing. Look at that. That's awesome. Priceless. Oh, my God. So what was my favorite film? I don't know. Cross of Iron because I met Fellini. Mm. Uh, uh, Cross of Iron because it was James Mason, James Coburn. David Warner, it's, uh, uh, but Blade Runner, of course. Absolutely. Blade Runner, Cross of Iron. I have to check out Cross but, of Iron. But, Stra but Straw Dogs was incredible. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid was incredible. Who gets to work with Bob Dylan on a film? You know? Yeah, that's crazy. Straw Dogs was uh, 78, 77? Straw Dogs was 71. Oh, it's that early. Wow. That was an that's intense film movie. for yeah. that early i mean just coming violent, off of the 60s yeah. of course film was changing i mean yeah film wasn't even the same medium it was five years before it was you want to see what bob bob dylan wrote to me on an album that he gave me as an end of picture present sure of course of course i'll be right back yeah straw dogs is like a really explicit it's like clockwork orange style it is uh, it's too yeah. much it's too explicit for me honestly yeah, there's there's some some rape. Like I can't do rape in movies. I can't like I, I understand if it's if it's there, but I just I don't need to see it. But know? that like that came out I think like right after or right around the time Clockwork Orange came out. I think yes. they were like companions. Mm -hmm. Um and uh yeah, it's like can you imagine being alive in the seventies? Well, you were, but I mean like being being like a, a film adult in the seventies. Like, can you imagine? I can't getting to go to the movie and see that. <laughs> This is what Dylan gave me as a, an end of picture present. Wow. And the first thing the first thing he wrote on it was if you don't like this you can throw away the jacket. <laughs> and it says hip says we love Bobby. 
and says, here, Katie, here's a record for you. You have a great walk and a great manner and helped turn the precious moments into days. See you along the road. Yours, Robert. Oh, my God. Wow. Thank wow. you. Uh, there are many different people inside of us, Sam Peckinpah. We love Bobby. Katie, may you always be as you always are, beautiful, love Dylan. Dear Katie, they were they never received the I don't know what he means here. They never received the first, but that's the first telegram. But maybe that's better. Love Bob. <laughs> and that was my end of picture present. Wow. So, that's incredible. So Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid maybe was, you know, it was it was um it was uh, Chris Christopherson's idea to bring Dylan on, you know, um, on the picture. So Sam said, but there's no role for him to play. What are we going to call him? He said, well, let's call him Alias. So, so Bob Dylan played Alias on Pat Garibaldi. <laughs> and then Chris, Chris had uh, his, uh, his guitarist, you know, also on the film, but without a role to play. And he said, what are my lines? And he said, and Sam said, well, just repeat everything what what everybody says. So you know, he just <laughs> stood there and repeated everybody's lines, and he, that was his character. Anyway, so yeah, maybe Pat Garrett, which I loved, and the, every every film was an was, a, was an experience unto itself. You know, and, and I felt like I'd been thrown into a world that I never expected to be in by circumstance. You know, I never planned. You know, I want to be the greatest producer in the world or the greatest. You know, whatever assistant director or uh, on Sicilian, I be became the assistant director, but because I spoke Italian, and and Cimino fired his two Italian assistant directors, and in the mafia world of, of cinema, you know, nobody nobody took over their their roles when they were fired. You know, you don't don't take over their the roles. Right. So, so uh, uh, Michael said, you you you've got to be this in the AD. So I'm running up the mountains with the, the Italian extras and, and, and avoiding a calamity. But when Michael Cimino decided to have a, a, a party with the head of the mafia, the head of the, the, head of the nobility and, um, and, and the head of the, of the, the, the government in one, all, all in one room at the same time, you know, for the first time in 500 years, you know, and having to be the party organizer that's just so much history that is incredible. It is. I know. it's really amazing you know. and I, i'm just really grateful that you have taken your time today to <laughs> walk us through this i know for you this is your life these are things that you've lived but for us who are the moviegoers who hear stories and hints about things like this it feels like i've been taken into those memories in my own way so i'm just so appreciative of the time my pleasure Thank you so much, Katie. They, and on behalf of all Shoulder of Orion listeners around the world, thank you for what you did for this film yes. and what you've done for its legacy. And thank you for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. I hope I hope I made sense. You did. Oh, you did. Uh, I think At least be. definitely did. Thank you for reminding me who Will Rogers was. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. Don't worry. <laughs> Will Rogers never met Ridley Scott was one of the... And why <laughs> Will Rogers? Well, Ridley, he said... I never met a man I didn't like. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank great. you so much, Katie. Have a have a wonderful evening, and uh, and we can't wait to see what you do next because you've done an amazing job so far. Thank you. And lovely to meet you. It's a pleasure. You too.
Ms. Haber asks that we include her condolences to the family and friends of Blade Runner costume designer Charles Node, who passed away February 16th, 2023. May he rest in peace. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.